Dustin Huff is the hardest working flats guide I know. Ask anyone else, they'll all agree. Two, he's the best at his craft. Over the last handful of years, he's become the winningest tarpon guide in the Florida Keys Tournament Series. His dad, Steve, set the standards of ethics and level of success years ago. On today's episode, Dustin spoke of the pressure of his family's DNA, his success, and how he feels about killing fish for records. This is one you won't want to miss. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way. So I double lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. <laughs> There's something fishy going on here. Well, listen, uh, Dustin, it's great to have you. Um, it's great to be I've here. I've known man. you a long time. I've known your dad forever. And uh, it's just an honor and a privilege to have you as a friend and your dad as well. And I, I have to go back to the first time I was in the Lower Keys with Harry Spear. Um, we had going to Stouts, and there's your dad. You know, <laughs> yeah. Tell me about uh, how you always start your breakfasts. And, and I, I have a feeling you do the same. You know, it starts right there. Yeah, it does. I, I, I ate there when I was a kid with him when I'd go fishing with him and Dell. That was where we'd always go before we went out. And I just kind of kept doing it when I started working, you know. And there are certain times of the year now that I don't make it in there because I got to get out there earlier than I would want. You know what I mean? Right. But it always it usually starts at Stouts, yeah. <laughs> are you kind of like that? You know, like everything's routine? You do everything it the is. same? Totally. Totally for me. And... And when something changes a little bit, a lot changes because I'll forget this and forget that. Are you superstitious not. in any way? Yeah, I am. Not not as much as my dad probably is, but I am. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I am. What, what, uh, what has it been like for you growing up with the Huff name and your dad being the god of guides? Man, that was, that was tough. It was tough. For, I mean, it was – it certainly facilitated my – career you know but it was tough because i knew i knew how he did things and how how well he did as a guide that i knew i had big shoes to fill you know and that's why when i won that first gold cup it was like man it hit me hard because as a kid i was on the dock when he was winning and it was it was surreal to be there winning myself you know it was it was 
And and two, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit, but two with the Dale Brown tournament, because you and your father caught probably 98% of his permit. And oh, yeah. when you, we won, when we won the Dell Brown, I oh, remember huge for, tears for in both of our eyes. Oh, but absolutely. I know that Dell's name on that trophy, along uh, with yours being there. Oh, that was huge for me. That was that was really the first real tournament that I fished. You know, right. I had fished one Redbone Series tournament before that, and then you and I went and did that, and that was that was that was wild, man. That was huge for me. It was. It was it was really emotional, yeah, it was. Because, I mean, there are a tournaments named after a guy that I spent a ton of time with, as my dad did, and you and I are engraved on it now. It's pretty cool. It was cool being a part of all that, you know, aside from winning, but knowing what you guys had done with Dell. Yeah. I remember um, that tournament specifically was interesting, and uh, the story told or I've told a number of times, is about meeting your dad the day we went golfing on a practice day. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the audience, it was, uh, I, I don't know why it took us so long to fish together. I think I begged you for about six years. We played a lot of golf together, and I we finally did, yeah. got you to say, yeah, what? So what was your apprehension uh, initially to not you, fish tournaments? You know, it, probably not knowing if I was good enough to win, to be honest with you. I, di- I just didn't know what to expect. I just... I don't know. I think that I wasn't sure that I could win. And it was even more intimidating fishing somebody like you that had won so much that, you know, it was almost like you had to win sort of thing. Right. You know what I mean? And I just wasn't, I didn't know if I was there. Until you're a huff and your dad had won so much. Exactly. So I mean, it was compounded. a ton of pressure, compounded pressure. Yeah. So in hindsight, I think we would have done well. And I, I regret not having done that, but well, hell, at, the, you, at the time I didn't, I wasn't in my comfort zone there, right. you know. Well, so. you made up for lost time for sure. Yeah, I. I mean, you've won maybe. everything since then. But uh, let's go back to that tournament briefly. So um, that week it was like sixty some degrees. It was blowing like hell. It was like blowing twenty five to thirty. We went oh out on the first practice day. I think oh, we God. saw our first hail at like five o'clock. And the next morning at breakfast, I asked Dustin. I said. Do you want to go mess around or you want to have some fun? And Dustin says, uh, if you recall, well, what, what are you talking about here? I said, look, there's nothing out there. It's cold <laughs> as hell. It's blown 40. Let's yeah. go play some golf. You know, and it's oh, almost sacrilegious yeah. because we had Monday and Tuesday to practice. And then the tournament, you know, starts yeah. Wednesday. And I said, hell, you know, it's going to start and you're going to find them. And if not, we're not going to find them, but we're not going to find anything today. Yeah, and I, re- I, would. I remember we're driving to Sombrero. We're going back up to the east and uh, your dad was coming back down to the west to, to take Charlie Cozzy fishing. And Charlie was getting older in age. Charlie can't cast. He's lost his vision. And the, and the permit fishing was going to suck royal balls. And oh, fuck, he pulls funny. over, we pull over and Steve comes over to us. He knows we're going in the wrong direction. We're yeah. going dead opposite of Key West. <laughs> And your dad comes over and says, what are you guys doing? And I said, we're going to go golfing. And your dad looks around, looks at the weather, and he goes, fuck, I wish I knew how to play golf. <laughs> That's right. right? And, you know, I remember Sandy loves to tell that story, that we, we, we won and, and on the practice day <laughs> we were playing golfing. golf. Yeah, that was funny. That was, But the truth is, like you said, I mean, it would have been miserable, a waste of time because what what's going to be there – 
where it was that day is not going to be necessarily there the next right. day or if anything's there at all. Well, also, you know, too, so. we know what kind of miserable weather it was going to be the following, you know, for the rest of the week. It's not like we're going to be able to practice at all. Right. Let's go back to your childhood when you were really young. Uh, was your dad a, a strict disciplinarian? What was that like with for you and your brothers? Yeah, he was. He was. He expected He expected a lot from us. Did he spank but, you? Oh, yeah, he would. Yeah, Hard? <laughs> Decent. Decently, yeah. But I, I didn't get it as much as Chad did. Chad's way more hard-headed than me. So. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, for sure. This kid, so you had, you, you know, you're growing up, and so what was your, what would you guys do? I mean, I, I remember you were talking about shark fishing one time. You and your brother is a shark term or something. Tell yeah, me, you know, so, that. so when we were growing up, my dad was fishing a ton. So when we got the opportunity to fish with him, it was huge. You know, we'd just get fired up, you know, jump out of bed to go, you know. But we also, they, my mom and dad bought us a boat early on. So we started fishing on our own. I think I was 11 and Chad was 13 when we got a, a dolphin super skiff, you know. And um, we started fishing on our own and we actually entered a shark tournament. I think I, it, it was later Later on, maybe I was 12 and he was 14 or something like that. But we ended up winning big time in that. You know, it was we caught. I remember we caught a 72 pound tiger shark. Believe it or not, still the only one I've ever caught, and a bunch of lemon sharks and bring them home. <laughs> brought them in. Did you release them dead? <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. Yeah, we brought them all in. We had the whole cockpit full of of sharks. Yeah. Was it a pretty rough house growing up with your brothers? It was just just Chad and I and and. You know, we fought for sure, but I would say not an abnormal amount. But right. Yeah, we scrapped around pretty good, but it was we got along for the most part. Well, you've got a history of fighting. Tell oh, me about that. God. We got to get there a little bit. Oh man! I mean, you're that legendary. Was, that was the dark days of my life. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was it was. <laughs> I can't believe you asked the me. The truth that. be told. Yeah, I don't know. You were, man. I don't know you what were, was. I think you were a badass. I don't know right? what was wrong with me, but I just liked it. I don't know why. I still don't know why, and I still like it. I just know that I can't do it now, and and it's just you risk getting shot. You know, you risk a lot. I've got kids now, and it was just something fun. To, I don't know why I like doing it either, but I got in enough trouble. And it cost me enough money. I could have been driving some real nice cars back then. <laughs> yeah. But I just, I don't know what was wrong with me. And I, I'm not a big drinker. But when I drink, my tolerance, I think, for for people goes down. You know, I think that's my problem. So I sort of took myself out of that environment for the most part. And well, look, it's it's a good thing to know and have that in your back pocket because nobody's <laughs> going to mess with you. I when, don't know. When Nikki, I don't know. When Nikki and I are out there fishing in the flat, we're always <laughs> looking over our shoulder. God, we well, hope Dustin's not going to yell at us. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm one guy you don't have to worry about. You know that. At least you guys don't have to worry about it. I'm going to tell sure. you a funny story. Dustin, you've heard this, as has Nikki, but I was fishing with Timmy Hoover for a number of years. Um and we were in the Lower Keys, and we're going through this channel, right? And it's a channel where if you get into the inside of the basin, if there's anybody to the east of you, you can't go into that channel, as you know. You're cutting them off. Absolutely. So it's early one morning. The sun is just rising, and uh, Timmy starts to motor through this channel. And I look up, and I see this boat on the horizon. 
where we should a boat we should not be cutting off and we're going to cut that guy off for sure and i'm like i'm just an angler here but i know we're doing the wrong thing and i said i said timmy i think that we're probably cutting this this guy off we probably shouldn't be going in there and timmy said ah he's he's a long ways away there's no problem and right then right then my my phone rings (laughs) d huff (laughs) and i turn around i said timmy i think this call this calls for you I remember that vividly. Yeah, I do remember that. That was funny. I've, I've never seen a boat spin around so fast in my life. Got the hell out of there so fast. We got good laughs out of that, though. That was funny. Yeah, but... When did you, reala- when did you realize that you were going to be good? And oh, that gosh. You, were good? you know, I don't... That's hard. That's hard to answer. I don't even... I guess I am good, I guess. I don't know. Of course. I mean, but I don't know. I just... My dad, I, I don't know. He's... I think he kind of set the standard for work ethic as a guide, you know, and um, I just tried to live by that. And I know it costs, if you're not careful, it'll cost you a lot in terms of your your life at home, you know, it's a fine balance there. But I think putting in the extra time and and always just trying as hard as you can, if you've got, I mean... I don't know. It's it's almost like I think there's sort of like a a sixth sense in fishing too. You know, I think that you you need that too to right. to be really good at it. But I think the whole work ethic thing is is, is a big part of it. Yeah. yeah. What uh, what kind of voices do you have spinning in your head when you can't find a fish, especially in a tournament? You know, I don't know. I mean, it's there's. It, fortunately, it doesn't happen very often. And um, but if there's not as many as I feel like there should be, that's when it starts spinning. And anymore, what's really hard about about getting in a bind in a tournament where you don't feel like you're getting as many opportunities as you need to win, is that there's the way the tarpon fishing has gone lately is there's not as many fish on the north side of the Keys that time of year during tournament season, you know, so everybody's kind of concentrated out on the, on the south side. And it's, um, it's hard to move a lot of times. It's crowded. Oh man. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, you can, you can burn a lot of time and gas and not, and end up turning around if you're not careful. I mean, I've, I've been searching. That's when I get a little freaked out is when I, I make some moves and everything's filled up, you know, and, it's hard to wiggle in. It is. I mean that that's that's another reason that we've got that boat, you know. It the widowmaker. Yeah, it cuts down on on travel time big right. time, you know. Big time. So we'll we'll talk about the boat in a second here, but after you won the Dell Brown, did that tournament switch go off? I mean the juices for tournaments did, was it all of a sudden like, yeah, I want to do this. You know, yeah, that's funny you say that. Yeah, I, I think it did. It's um it, it's almost like fishing in a tournament. There's so much adrenaline, so much concentration, so much focus that when you get back to normal fishing, it's like almost like boring. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Mundane. I mean, a little bit, yeah. It's just a you you stay at a high that whole time. You know, even if you're lose, even if you lose, you're still juiced. Oh yeah, yeah. big time. Is yeah. it is it hard for you to go? 
you know, through the extremes where um, if you're usually if you're a tournament um, fisherman or an athlete, you're always in a game or you're always practicing. So the level of, of adrenaline is quite high. How difficult is it for you to go from the Gold Cup winning Calcutta monies and winning the biggest tournament in this in this sport to taking a, an average guy fishing that can't get the fly out there, can't see the fish? It's got to be difficult. You know, one it is. I mean, it's tough, but at the same time, that's how I pay my bills, you know. And I always try and keep that at the forefront of my mind that that's what I do for a living is take people fishing. And I always, my intensity goes down. My level of trying doesn't, though. I'm still right. trying as hard as I can, but it's, it's, it's. You just got to kind of refocus, you know. It's 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 different. It's, it's also, different, but I'm still doing what I do, just not at that super high level. You, you know, ever wake up intensity. and go, God, I just don't want to go fishing today? Oh, sure. Yeah. When yeah. The when the weather's bad. Yeah, in the springtime when it's, you know, it's been really, it, it, invariably when a front comes through here, the days before it, it gets really calm, and there's at least one slick, calm day right before it, and the fishing's incredibly good. And then the next day, like when we were fishing that permit tournament, it's 58 and raining and blowing 30 out of the north, and what are you going to do? You hands, know, it's, it's hard to get excited about going out down here for that. Your hands are tied. What was it like fishing Dell? Let's go back to him briefly. He was the, the greatest uh, permit fisherman of all time. You know, it was— What, what, was, what, what made him so good? You know, I think just doing it, man, he just did a lot. He did it a ton, and he was totally dedicated to doing it. You know, he didn't want to do anything else. I mean, that was all he did. It was it was permit or nothing. He once said he goes, I mean, in, in the springtime, back in the day, you could, when a front would come through and it was ripping out of the north, odds of seeing a bunch of permit are like slim and none. But the bone fishing on the ocean side used to be phenomenal for you know, seven to 12 plus pounders, you know, we used to be really good. They'd be mudding. They wouldn't be tailing. And he'd go, I'd rather not catch a permit than catch a mudding bonefish. You know, so <laughs> I think that's what made him good. It wasn't, I mean, he was a good caster. It wasn't that he was an extraordinary caster. You know, he just put the time in major time, you know. Tell me about your relationship with Thane. You know, Thane had won the gold cup with, uh, with Craig Brewer. Um, he'd been fishing a number of years and then he hooked up with you. I mean, that is a magical fishing winning team, you and Thane. Yeah, you know, that, that whole thing was, it, Thane and I just hit it off really well as friends. He's, you know, he, he loves to do what, what we like to do, play golf and, and fish and, and whatever else. I mean, just it just, we all, we just got along really well, you know, and it was a sticky situation for me in that I felt weird him fishing with me after fishing with Craig you know it was it was tough for me and I told him I said you know I just don't I can't do this like right away you know right I said I we got to figure this out and he and he was he understood he didn't want to do it either right no for sure you know what I mean he wanted to he wanted to go about it the most diplomatic way as did I and I just wouldn't do it you know immediately but um you know he it's done a lot for me to have to, to fish to have fished him you right. know what I mean he's he's helped put me 
in a position as a guide that I wasn't in before and that, you know, we've, we've done some winning, you know, nah, you've done a lot of winning. And, yeah. I mean, we've done well for sure. And we've, what, how many uh, gold cups, three we, gold cups? No, we've won two, two, two together. So but, we fished it. Hollies. How many? Yeah. We fished a gold cup starting in 14. So what is that? That's, um, so we won yeah. it in 14 and then I, I think I fished it starting in 14 and I, I won it twice came in second every other time but one and came in fifth I think the time we didn't come in second or first and then the holly we've won it three times starting in 15 and come in second the other times and then we fished the golden fly as well and haven't done worth a damn in that for some reason I, I can't figure it out yeah, but it's just a matter of time we just haven't you well, know you we just haven't put it together there but we've um well, if you go to a gambling table, all the money's going to be on you guys. Unfortunately, that's cost and thing in the Cal- <laughs> in the Calcutta. It is, yeah, but usually we're we're take we've been fortunate enough to take home money every all but one time. Yeah, so, for sure. yeah. yeah we, so he's way ahead on that. Tell, or, tell me about the houseboat you built. Well, actually, and, and how do you guys? And we why didn't really do you build it. We've just modified it a little bit, but we um we use it to go over to the glades and. And hang out is pretty cool. Right. We tow a skiff with it, and so it's, on a, um, so on a, like a bad week of weather, you go over there and no, go up into the Everglades. More or on a better time? week. Yeah. Yeah. We 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 tarpon fish out of it. One of those record tarpon we caught. We'll get into the we records here in a that, second, but, but but that was that was kind of part of it, you know. Yeah. Well, the saying goes, uh, obviously, in the roasting of the gold cup, what happens on the houseboat stays in the houseboat. <laughs> That's right. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that, is, that was good. Wardo's good with that. <laughs> and Dougie, I don't know who came up with that, but one of those guys. That's that's funny. Let's get into that the record fishing a little bit. Um, it's pretty impressive, and it's kind of a um, a fragile subject to some people, in the fact that you know big fish they have to be weighed on dry ground. So we've got to kill these big fish mm-hmm. to establish that record in the official. Uh, exact weight of these fish but you right. have really caught some monster fish and long long One, battles too, too. too long ones yeah you know it is a touchy situation and it, it, and i'm the last guy that wants to kill a tarpon they, they they're my favorite fish and i'm i'm the last guy that wants to harm them in any way so what people don't know is that for the few fish that we take the couple fish that we've taken, it's, it's it's so minimal on the grand scale of what happens to tarpon when they're in the keys. Right. The number of fish that get sharked at the bridges, the number of fish that get mistreated, mostly by bait guys, and and are certain when the tarpon congregate along these bridges, so do the sharks. You know, and if you mishandle and fight a tarpon too long, pull them in the boat, toss them back in, they're as good as gone. So the it's a total misconception that what we're doing is harming the tarpon population because it's not. It's not. No, no. It, they get so banged up here, and and on a on a daily basis, when we fish for them, we we have to fish for them. That's what we do. We don't harm them hardly at all by right. fishing the way we do with fly rods. You know, for sure. Yeah, we get them up, and we hardly ever. I mean, we grab some of them, but a lot of them we don't even grab. You know. And a little hook in those things is does not bother them at all. Right. I used to think it did. It doesn't. T- tell me about um, a couple of the long battles all night. Oh, my gosh. 
Yeah. Yeah, so so my goal when we went fishing for these fish is to put a record to bed so that nobody wants to try and fish for that again. I don't I don't want to incrementally step up a tarpon 10 pounds at a time and kill one every time and know that somebody's going to catch a bigger one. I wanted to I wanted to kill two and that's it and and not have anybody kill any more to try and beat that record. So so when uh when we started um when we started doing that we were we were fishing six pound and we weren't finding enough big ones and by big ones i mean i wanted to catch one a hundred or bigger you know and so we started using four so the first record we caught was on four and so that's four pound test for the audience. Yeah, four, four pound four test pound for the test, fly rod. Four pound tippet fly rod record was forty eight pounds. So I wanted to catch something on four. There was some plenty of seventy to ninety pounders around, which I thought was adequate, right? To to make people not want to go for that record readily, you right. know. And and you know you got to catch to catch one that big on four. You're gonna it's gonna take a ton of effort to get your hands on him to kill him anyway. You know what I mean? So. We were using four. We caught. We hooked a fish in the afternoon. We, well, gosh, it was brutal. We fought it. I say we fought it. We were we were attached to it for, I think, seventeen hours or eighteen. You know, it was like it was brutal. Thane was, Thane was staying alive by on on Copenhagen and Red Bull. Tell me about He's, about you packing his lower lip. Oh, in the yeah. middle of the night. Oh yeah, and and he I, one time he was asleep. I go, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Wake up! He goes, oh fuck! And he, he got. I saw slack in the line <laughs> because another angler or guide can't touch the rod. No. Only he can touch it. So yeah, you're yeah. packing his lower lip, pulling the- his fucking socks off. He had hoof rod. I'm pulling his fucking <laughs> socks off. Oh, it was bad. It was bad. And it was just me and him on that one. We learned that that's not the way to do it after having done it with that one. But so we fought that thing and. Ended up miles and miles from where we hooked it, gaffed it, knew it was going to double or come close to doubling the four-pound record, get it in, weigh it. Oh, yeah, it's it's plenty big enough. Line, t- line doesn't test out. So it's 88 pounds, that fish, 88 correct? pounds. Right. Yeah. So that became the new six pound world record fish. Correct. I think it was eighty two by Stu App. Stu App in seventy five, or I think he set that in nineteen seventy five. So it beat that record. It wasn't what I would do on six pound, but it it did it. Yeah. It worked. It didn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't all for nothing. So then we started. We kept fishing four pounds since we had the six pound record. It wasn't what we wanted, but we had it. And we fought another one the next year. And people aren't going to like this, and neither did I, but we had it on for 18 hours yet again. I gaff this thing in the dark. My brother, Andrew, comes over and jumps on the boat with us and, and drives the boat for us because it's. I learned on the first one, the 88 pounder, that it's impossible. E- even though, I mean, that 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 88 pounder, I had a gaff that somebody had given me, and it it turned out not to be a tempered hook. So when I would gaff this thing, it would make this awful ping sound, and it would come flying out with a scale on the end of it every time. And 
in the middle of the night on that 88 pounder, I looked and the gaff, instead of being a J shape, it was open way up, bent open. And I got to think, I go, we're, we're fucked. You what are we going to do with this? And how are we going to get, I'm going to have to dive down there and grab it or something. I mean, you, but you can't leave the boat. So, I mean, ended up later on, I, when the sun came up the next day, I could see it and it was, it looked like it had been in a drive-by. It hit that thing so many times with a, with a bogus <laughs> gaff. And I, I, uh, I get the, I could see, and I get the gaff point. It was moving slow right up underneath it, and, and got it from underneath. You know, thank God, because I didn't want to maim that thing like that and then send it on its way. That's the last thing I wanted to do. So I went back in time there. But this next, the four-pound record we had on for another eighteen-hour fight, I gaff it. It's like five or six in the morning. I get pulled in the water, in the nastiest water you'd ever want to be in. And I open my eyes underwater, and I all I can see is red. And I go, holy fuck, this thing's bleeding. I'm in the shark-infested crocodile water. Holy shit, I got to get out of here. And he was towing me underwater. It was, I was in a channel, and it was kind of deep. So I'm under, and I can't quite touch, and I'm tied to it, you know. So I finally get my feet down, and I and I could I can feel the bottom, and I I stand up, and my head's out of the water. And I, and I walk up a little bit further on the bank and I just, I, I was ready to get out, you know? So I, this thing goes ballistic after 18 hours. I'm holding on to this thing. Don't know where I have it gaffed. I couldn't see, obviously it was dark. This thing goes ballistic. The, the, the gaff around, the, the noose around my hand ripped all the skin off the back of my hand. I'm wrestling this thing and the gaff ripped out of the fish. Oh, yeah, that was one of, the, one of the lowest moments for me because... Oh. I, that's the last thing that I would want to happen. That was know? an eighteen-hour fight. Yeah, and this thing goes crazy. I mean, crazy, and it, yeah, it it got away. And we, as soon as that happened, the the line had had broken. Right. You know, so we're we're idling around with a. I think we had a flashlight trying to find this thing float up, and it never did. They're mean. Yeah. So I may yeah. have had it. Hopefully, I had it. They're tough slightly gaffed and it didn't necessarily kill it but who knows right so the the sequel to that is the next year we hook another one on four and we get it in a minute or less and we got it tell me that story yeah so we have my my brother andrew along on this the whole time he he would thane would would pay him something to go along and he'd stay with us, you know, out there. And it, he's a great boat operator. So Thane hooks this thing. It jumps one time going away and he, he, he immediately cranks the motor. I get the gaff on and we go up and we know it's right by the side of the boat there. And I set the gaff down and I rip on it and I miss. And he goes, man, just, you got to let it sink just a little bit longer. He said, let me get you up there again. He gets me up there again. I, I reach out, let it sink, let it sink, wham, and I hit this thing, and out I go, which is not <laughs> uncommon when you gaff a tarpon. There was stories growing up I used to hear all the time for the Gold Cup. You know, they used right. to just to whack them all. So this thing tows me out in a big circle, comes flying back at the boat, jumps and skips off the, the front deck of the boat with me on his back, okay, Goes out in a big circle, tows me way out there again. My brother, it, he wasn't used to a tiller. It was a tiller at the time. We were on a, in a tiller boat. He he get he the thing drags me. I mean, it was dragging me probably two or three times as long as we had it on. You know, 
It was dragging That's me crazy. around, and he gets over to me. We get it in the boat. 119 on four in the line did test. Well, so that was that was what I wanted to do. Yeah. It, it put it. It should have. Nobody's tying another tarpon fly on four pound test. Yeah, that was the goal. That's done. And that's probably true. Yeah. You know? Tell me it's about a, your uh, the Widowmaker boat that you oh, and man. Thane had built. Well, that's one thing Thane and I have in common is that uh, we're both somewhat of adrenaline junkies. You know, as I know you you were in your day too. <laughs> I get photographs of Dustin in the winter. He's out in Park City somewhere, and he's going seventy miles an hour with somebody. He's got an iPhone out there, and he says, "What do you, what do you think of my talk? How can I go I was, faster? I need I need 80. <laughs> yeah, I was. I got seventy four. I think I was trying to. I just couldn't get any faster than that. But anyway, that Thane is an all in sort of a guy. I think that's what makes us a good team. Is that he's he spares no expense. He's a huge competitor, you know, and he's not scared. So when it, whenever we first started fishing that tournament, the boat that he had, this is the third Chittam that he's had with a big motor on it. The first one, it just wasn't, I think we there was a problem with the, with the boat, with the, the motor just wasn't right on it. So this next one he got, we, we put a jack plate on it, had a 150 HO Evinrude on it. Actually, Linville has the boat now. That's the boat we were using to start with. And it was fast. It was plenty fast. But I found one of those um, 200 race offshore. They call them 200 Ross Mercs. It's a it's a racing motor that you get that has a it has a 15-inch midsection on it when you get it. That's the only way it comes. And then Thane was all in. I said, why don't we just... We'll get rid of that 150 and put it. He goes, well, if we're just going to do that, let's just get a whole new boat. And I said, well, shit. That's, well, he's he's, that's, he's fearless of speed, and he's he's fearless about spending money on fast boats. Yeah, he's not scared. He's not scared. So Hal and George up there at, at Chittam, actually, Thane, I think, pitched in on some en- with some engineering funds to have that, that boat engineered to, to, for that kind of speed and that that kind of motor that motor is no heavier than the 150 that was the incentive to get it it weighs it weighs 16 pounds more negligible when you're talking about that yeah so they 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 engineered this uh this layup schedule and had this boat made and i actually did a lot of work on it on putting the motor on it and stuff they did a beautiful job with the boat it's amazing those those boats are amazing and that it's functional with that motor and I now have that same boat, lighter layup schedule with a 60 on it, you know. So that's that that continues to blow my mind. But that that go that widowmaker is it's tough to pull. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's it's not made for that motor, but it's it it does exactly what we intended it to do, which is to not spend a lot of time running, more time fishing. Right. And, well, uh, if you take a look at a faster boat such as this Widowmaker, if you can gain another hour and a half of fishing a day times five, five days of the Gold Cup, you have almost have essentially another day of fishing. Yeah. It's a I numbers mean, game. Oh, it is. It's Yeah, when you start crunching numbers like that, you know, we're making it. We made it from the Lorelei down to Duck Key in, in 15 minutes. How you know? far is that? Mm, it's got to be 
20 something 25 miles maybe more so in theory the fleet that leaves ahead of you two minutes ahead of you you can get past that fleet and beat them to the hot spots if yeah we can so that's that's the advantage so they got a speed last year um scott collins who's a good buddy of mine and a great guide he he was fishing out of his boat in the golden fly and he got to leave at 545 and if i'd have wanted the spot he was going to, or if I would have been willing to do that to him, I could have gotten it. And you left at what time? Six? I think I left at 6.06. That's a big difference. And I could have beat him in a, to Duck Key. Do you, do you think- I, I was coming up on him, and I knew it was him. He's a good friend. I, I was I going to the way. lower keys anyway. Okay. But it was. But you faked okay. him out. You probably made well, him going, think who, that you were I, He was going. I, when I talked to him later, he's going, who in the hell is that? We left first. We're, we're going to get to this spot, and somebody's coming up on it. He goes, we had already gotten away from everybody we were going to have to contend with, you know, in his flight, which right. is four other guys, you know. So, but we were. So, tell me about the speed. What, so, what's your top end that this boat has? You know, has? that boat. And it's all carbon fiber. If it's I'm all carbon. There's no glass in it. All carbon. It's got a 38-gallon tank in it. We actually have a ballast tank in it for when we get low on fuel, we pump water in the front. Because you can't pull a boat that's light in the in the front, you just can't do it. The bow is going to be t- yeah, yeah, it just falls it. off and you can't pull it. It's you know? a very refined, sophisticated boat. But you yeah. also have a motor at the house in case this one blows up, if I'm not mistaken, right? We do. We have another mid. We have another head for that motor. That so a guy named Dave Dryford, who's a, who's a good friend of mine, he um he's always been into go fast boats, like always. So when we got this set up. We had it on a on a manual jack plate with a 15 inch midsection. We couldn't that 15, you know, that from the from the bottom of the cowling to the to the gear case is like that. It's, there's nothing to it. So when we would get it to where in the gear case that's on that boat, it's called a Sportmaster. It picks up water from under the cone. Every other every other motor picks up water from just above the cone. You know, you know, ahead of the prop, just right. above the of the the gear case cone, you know, right. this one picks it up on the bottom. So that gear case is designed to run only the skeg in the water. Higher. The props made to yeah. run half out. Wow. So to get that motor with a 15 inch mid where we needed it, we had basically no reverse when we were fighting a fish. So to get it where we so right. we, so I called Dave Dryford and said, this is a problem we got because it was mounted so high for the running the, the prop was basically behind the boat. So when you go to reverse it, it would cavitate a bunch because it wasn't hardly in the water. Right. You know what I mean? You couldn't get any... Per, uh, Even when it wasn't on plane. Yeah. Right. So he we took the boat up there to him. He's got a a shop full of parts, race parts. So he puts a 20-inch mid on there for us. It was a whole process to get this thing running right. In the first year in the Gold Cup... It didn't run right. We broke down. It cost us a couple of days. Right. And that was our worst finish was that year because of that. But it, but it was um, – anyway, we got it. We got it refined and put a put a normal jack plate on it, and it's running. What – um, where do you see the future of tournaments going? Uh, is, is it going to be get faster and faster for everybody? And are you guys mm-hmm. putting, like, some of the competition out of – the the game, if you will. I mean, is it you know, a fast boat? Is it a maybe. fast? Is it a fast boat game right now? I mean, do you think they're you ever going to say? You know, 
that that question was raised early on while we were when we started winning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there was other boats that were the same as the one we were running when we won the first time. Right. Boats the exact same setups. Right. Two of them, I think. At least one, maybe two. And there's other boats with bigger motors than we had then on different hauls. Right. Back when my dad was fishing it, guys were getting the fastest boat they could get. To Ralph, get to the Ralph pocket. Delph always yeah. had a 200 on his boat. Everybody always had fast boats, but the technology's gotten better. The boat building is better. The the composites are using now are lighter and stronger, and it's, it's allowing us to go faster and still faster and still be able to pull the setup that we have, which mm -hmm. is it's not easy to pull, but it's fishable. It's you know, right? So are we are we taking some of the you're pushing the bar it's good yeah i mean there's no there's no there's no rule against it people have always been doing it and not everybody's clearly i mean it's totally legal to do and not everybody's doing it right why not yeah some may be restricted by funds i understand that i would be if i was funding it but we're in it to win it thane's in it to win it thane like I said, he spares no expense to win it. I don't know. Well, it's, you it's, raised it's, the you raised the bar. You know, yeah, good, I mean, it, for you guys. Uh, I think some people wouldn't even be willing to do it if they were handed it. Right. You well, let's let's I mean? get so, back to the fishing part. That's the boat. You can get there faster. Let me let's go to the fishing. Um, tell me about you know your typical tarpon fishing techniques and tactics have changed over the last <clears> number of years as as far as the, the flies selection the way you fish these fish with the worm flies and the fly lines tell me a little bit about that it's scary to me man the whole the whole thing is scary to me it's i so love these fish it's hard it's it's i feel bad almost about it to because be you're catching so many yeah and just what we're having to do to catch them because those worms that they're eating are doing something to them that's it's not just a a source of calories it does something else to right. them for certain so they're getting hammered with this thing that they so seem to need right and love and it's in their face all day every day and they day. can't stop eating it they they can't i mean they certainly it's refreshing to know that they eat it it's way harder to get bit now than it was 5 years ago for sure way harder right so they're they're learning yeah and good for them yeah they're learning for sure but tell me a little bit about the techniques your fly line you know you're fishing all clear fly lines i don't think many people you know, are using that what kind of hooks you know i started using clear lines almost when i first started guiding on the ocean because they were hard back then they were hard as hell to catch i mean when i was a kid i used to catch them on a 4-0 cockroach with a hundred pound shock you know right but it wasn't easy. They didn't all bite it. It was get bit more now, you know. But if you threw that stuff now, you'd be there for years before you caught one. Right. You know what I mean? Unless right. it was dark or something, you know. Right. But, yeah, I mean, I was using a a, slime, a, 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 mon, a 3M slime line. Or SA, yeah, it was 3M SA slime line for its clear, clear quality, even though it was an intermediate line. You know, and it was a pain in the ass to pick up if you you have to strip it all the way in. But I was using clear before Monic even 
started making them just for that, just for the quality of the clear. I just think it's huge on the ocean for me, and a lot, particularly if you're fishing around the big bunches. You know, tell me, uh, let's talk about the dynamics of uh, certain areas that we all know of. You know, where the fish mm-hmm. are pouring on a certain sure. tide. Uh, you've got Fordyce right next to you. The, the currents are raging. The fish are raging. It's the fifth day of the Gold Cup. You know, talk me through that a little bit about Man. what you're seeing and what you're feeling. And, and Voodoo's right next to you, and you got great anglers, and you're dicing for the win. Yeah, I mean, I mean, last year was a prime example of that. Yeah, it was. I mean, food. Rob is a is everybody knows is one of the the greatest tarpon fishermen around. You know, so he's always a competitor as is you know joe rod's always in it right it seems in that gold cup in the mix at the end and then you got helms too and it's that that, that's you know it gets spicy it gets it gets dicey in there yeah so (laughs) so i think you're referencing mainly the bowling alley which everybody knows about yep rob fishes it a lot i was probably the late comer there because i fished it as a kid when I was fifth, you know, 14, 15, 16 after school. But I, when I started guiding, most of the clients I had were not great anglers. And I could not, I had a hell of a time trying to catch those things up that way. You know, the water's clear. The fish are swimming a lot shorter distance between boats. You get in the lower keys and they got to go roundabout ways to get from boat to boat. So they're swimming a lot further between boats. They were way easier to catch. So I spent, a lot of my early days down there, you know, and had great success. And, and then, you know, Scott Collins started devastating him up the road, you know, that whole, that whole technique and that whole story of how that came about is, is pretty wild. You know, Carl Wagner, who's a, he's a friend of mine. He's a guy, he's actually, he's a very part-time guy. He's a fireman in Key West fish some guys from new england they call it doodling or the two-hand strip you know doodle it baby yeah <laughs> yeah so doodle it so Bring him, it. him and so scott and uh dave delu just wore everybody's ass out for a while with that technique that that they were using that, in that. that, that carl was using and scott was right. using you know around duck so Key they, they kind of started it then and Scott saw them catching all these fish. Carl did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, and I think Albert was using it some, Ponzoa. Yeah. You know, I think he was, they're all, I mean, he, he's, they all live back on Sombrero, and they were all kind of tight there. But once you once you get that hole, when you kick everybody's ass in the tournaments for a couple years, they're going. What in the what the fuck is he we, doing that we're not? We, we got to start out. doing whatever he's doing because it's unbelievable, you know. And that's right. that's how that whole two handed. Maybe people were. I mean, I was. Everybody was throwing worm flies when the worms were around. Right. That was nothing new. And some people. I know Rob still doesn't two hand strip it. He just strips it super fast with one hand. Yeah, I just can't do. I that. can't do it. Either. I can't do it. I lose the line. Yeah, I've watched Rob do it. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. To, he's his, so fast. He's his so hand's deep. a blur. Yeah. You know what's really kind of crazy is, is that when you're stripping with one hand and you get the fish coming up, he's about ready to bite your fly. You can see it. He's cross-eyed. He's got yeah. his mouth cracked. Yeah. You miss one strip. 
you Game lose over. the fish. Yeah. It's oh. unbelievable how that happens. <laughs> it's like, what the it heck? Is. What the hell are you talking about here? Yeah. He's gone. He's gone. Yeah. So, so that's why I I've, do a double hand strip as well. Yeah. I've always had my success two handing it, you know, but yeah, that's, that's how that whole worm thing came about, Evolved, you know, yeah. and that, that, I mean, the, the real, the way everybody's doing it now. You, you know, know, you talk about the worms. I don't know about you, but, you know, I fish, you know, all of May and the first week in June. And I don't know when you start throwing the worm fly, but I throw it like 90% of the time. And what's kind of interesting, like you said that before, it's such a small piece of meat, protein, if you will. Why would a 150-pound fish make such a great effort to eat these worms? Right. And I'm thinking it's pre-spawn. Maybe biologically, somehow, some way, it's part of what they need to do. Has to, yeah, they have to do it. There's no doubt they need it. They need it, and there's no greater... There's no... I mean, in nature, there's no greater thing than reproduction right i mean that's what animals do that's right. that's their what they're they eat and, and, and procreate and, and, and exactly so these things whatever whatever it is that those worms do i think you're exactly right has something to do with that because as soon as they get a big a big whack of them they go offshore yeah you know in big numbers and do what they do and it's i i've always hope that somebody would study those worms and what they do to those tarpon physiologically and in, in, in detail you know because it's something there's something to it right and it's almost like you should let them when they get on them maybe we should let them have them because it's i mean i know people love going to the worm hatch and it's a phenomenon it's cool as shit to see but those things are they need to have those things for whatever reason it's almost like you should just let it's them like do crack it. Yeah, and the people are out there banging the shit out of them. I used yeah. to do it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it, it maybe we should let them let them have them rest a little bit. Yeah. Um, do you do you think your kids know how profoundly successful and important um, your dad and you are to this world uh, of fishing? No. No, and that's okay, because. Yeah, they're just being kids, you know. Yeah. They'll, they'll, I mean, you know, my dad to me is obviously very special to me. And it's, it's pretty wild what, you know, I mean, it's not surprising that he's gotten the recognition that I think he deserves for what he's done. But it's, it's pretty wild that it's my dad. And I'm not even sure he's, he's my dad first. And I'm not certain. I mean, I, 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 I appreciate, that of him you know but that's i'm not sure i see him that way like i certainly don't see him like everybody else does you know he's right. my dad you know so and i think i'm it's the same with my kids i'm their dad and right. and they they see you know they've gone to some of the tournament deals when we when we've won and i know they think it's cool but i don't think you know at that age you can't really they're they're nine now so they don't they don't have a total grasp of what's going on. Do know? they have a future in fishing? I would say you think? no. Yeah. At the rate that it's changing and that it's changed in my life down here, I don't know. I, don't, I would never encourage it, you know, for them. What's it like for you growing up in the Keys and now seeing so many boats and the, the busyness of it out there? Oh, and, the, and a lot of the Montana guides that are coming oh, to fish. Yeah. It's sad to me, man. It's sad. But 
you know, these guys, I don't like to hate on any group of people, but those guys wear me out, man. I'll be honest. It's They come down here. It's not hard to figure out the tarpon deal anymore. You sit around and watch people, and that's what a lot of them have done. They can say they haven't, but they're full of shit. They, you can go see what people are doing on the ocean side and go do it. And these guys, a lot of them are guides elsewhere. They have clients already. Come check this out down in the Keys. It's just a cluttered up mess. Right. And I, you know, and, and, and. Is it fixable? Not without pissing a bunch of people off. Yeah. But, but something's got to give. Right. Something's got to give. I mean, there's those of us that are here year round, you know, that have, you know, there are a few of us that have lived here our whole lives. And that, you know, I mean, people should be able to fish wherever they want. Don't get me wrong. But when it's, 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 it's diminishing what we provide, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Particularly to God. I mean, if you parachute in here from God knows where and you go out there and you see these tarpon swimming by, it's like, holy shit, this is like the end all. This is it. I mean, it's, it's, it, and it is, it still is. But the guys that have seen it, seen what it was to what it is, and see the, the number of boats versus what there used to be. It, it can't help but be depressed about it. But do I own it? No. So it, it just it's it it's, is it is what it is. It's it's depressing. But you know, I don't know what you do about it. Do you ever see yourself packing up and leaving the keys like your dad did and head over to some quiet place? Man, I don't know. I think where he is is one of the one of the last places like that that fits that description, you know. But they don't have a it's, golf course over there. You might have there are a, a shitload of them real close by. <laughs> but an hour, but yeah. there's no. I mean, I shouldn't say that. There's very little clear water over there, and sometimes none. Yeah, you know. So that would bother me. I don't see me going over there. I see me gutting it out here. It's right. still good. It's still great here. Right. But it's frustrating at certain times, you know, yeah, without a doubt. It's frustrating a lot of the time because. I think maybe social media has propelled us into the into the limelight, you know. But right. I can't blame these guys for coming from Montana to do it. I just it's you can't blame them. I would be doing it too, you know. Right. But it doesn't mean that it's not frustrating for for me having lived it my whole life and seen what's. I feel sorry for the fish too. I actually, it's hard for me to go out there and whack a bunch myself because I. I feel so like much. I bang them up. Yeah, yeah, and and I and I, they provide for me, right. you know. So it, it's weird. It's a weird balance. It's. Do you it's, feel like you've uh, fulfilled those big shoes that your that your dad is? Uh... I think so. I'm still working at it, but I'm not satisfied yet. But I think I've, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, what you've done and and your family and. And to see your success, you know, as a as a man, not only a fisherman, uh, I think I can speak on behalf of anybody in this world. I think you've done it, and uh, well, you have you get all the accolades that uh, you deserve because you've really you've won a lot. Well, man, I not appreciate only as a that. friend, I mean, but not only as a you, guy, but as a friend. Coming from you, man, I looked up to you for. I was I was 
doing my thing while you were winning all those tournaments, man. And it was it was <laughs> it was cool. I wanted, it was really cool. So I wanted to be in your boat. Oh, thank you. I wanted to be in your boat. We finally got there. We did. Yeah, we did. We 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 did good in that permanent tournament right off the get. So yeah. that was good. Well, thank you for joining us. And like yeah, I man. said, you, you're the man. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Dusty. Yeah, thank you, Joe. This episode for me was riveting in every way. I fished with Dustin for years, played numerous rounds of golf with him, and I can tell you he's one of the most compelling close friends I have. If this country ever goes to war, you want Dustin Huff to be in your trench. If you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.